You are listening to an audio from Redemption City Church. If you would like to explore more resources or donate to this ministry, go to www.visitredemptioncc.com. Good morning, my name is Brandon, and you're about to listen to a sermon exhortation from our church, Redemption City, and we're really pumped about that for you, and ultimately, as we all seek to glorify God. Now I want to share some important facts that you may or you may not know. Are you ready? Did you know that the average movie length that we watch in a feature film is about an hour and a half? Did you know that the average motor scooter rental that you have when you go to a tourist place like San Francisco or Hawaii is about two to three hours long? Did you know that the average entry time that when you go to a museum is four hours long. Did you know that the average play structures that are inside when you sign up for your kids to go do things like discovery zones and play structures give you a two hour time limit? Now, in all these places that we spend two to three hours, we call it we call it joy. So here at Redemption City Church, our sermon exhortations typically run about an hour and 20 to an hour and 40 minutes. And if you just heard that and you're coming from a different context, you may go, no way. How could we ever sit for that long in a sermon? Well, here's the heart behind that. We believe that God's word is deep and it's wide and it deserves valuable time so that we can really camp out and break down what we believe our Heavenly Father has for us. Our hope is not just to create consumers who hear the sermon and then regurgitate what the pastor said, but that it enters into your heart in a way that transforms you and you ultimately are a confident Christian that can speak Christ to other people. And we believe the most faithful way we can do that is to not rush our exhortations through God's word. And so our hope is very simple and it's this. The same way that we experience other events for two hours and in the end we call it joy, our hope is that as you become a part of our church experience that you would walk away after an hour and 35 minutes of this sermon and call it joy. That's it and no more, but that changes everything. Let's do this. Let's go. Let's get ready for war and prepare to explore. If you have your Bibles, and I really hope you do, let's open them to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to be in verse 10 again, and we're going to be exploring it in just a little bit as we continue forward in our Ephesians series titled Our Story Moving Into God's Story. I want to keep reminding you, even at the tail end of this series, that this beautiful opportunity that we have in the text is all about discovering, man, who God is and what that means for our life and how we get these crazy cool opportunities to have a life in Christ. Now, now here remains our aim even as we march towards the end of our Ephesians series. No matter how long you've been walking with the Lord, even if you consider yourself a Christian, you've been deepening out on this journey of sanctification with God, or you're a brand new seeker, or you're kind of wondering about the Christian faith, our, our belief is this, that if you open your heart and you soften your mind right now, that you will have a opportunity to have a living encounter with the God of the universe represented right here in the text 
like you've never had before. Now, last week in part 35, titled Readying for Battle in the Christian War, we started segment A of that conversation, and it was all about God's strength and God's might. And we learned that um, in Ephesians chapter 10, verses uh, 10 through 20, that it's all about learning how to stand, right, and to defend our faith and our love for God and our love for others and the life that he's ultimately called us to live. We learned that God is calling us to a very real, even if it doesn't feel like it and we can't always see it, a very real Christian war and that it's impossible for us to do our part in this war if we are living for so many earthly things and by so many unbiblical rules and wants and desires. And therefore, we learn that we are supposed to do this. We're supposed to be preparing for a kingdom that's not of this world and that this earth and this present form of living is not to be our ultimate resting place. We learned that the second the second greatest lie that Satan ever told, if you want to know the first one, you got to go back and listen to this, the, the sermon last week, but the, but the second greatest uh, lie that Satan ever told was that he doesn't exist and that he's not real. And, and because of that, we have husbands and wives fighting and parents and children fighting and employees and employers fighting, and right? And we have Neighbors fighting against neighbors and blacks fighting against whites and Republicans fighting against Democrats. We have um, Christians fighting against Muslims. And we learn that we're all fighting, right? Because we're not focused on who our real enemy is. And we believe that we are each other's main problem. But, but folks, we learned that we're not. We learned that when we keep fighting each other like that, Satan sits back and he basks in all his glory, totally protected, sheltered from the war as we implode upon each other instead of fighting and aiming our swords at the right target. We learned that we need to stop turning things on ourselves and finding each other as our main source of enemy and instead we should cover each other's back because Satan's firing darts at us and that we should aim our voices at the proper enemy, namely namely Satan. And we learn that although the armor of God will protect us, it's not the centrality of our strength, but rather it's the defense. It's the defense of strategy that covers our actual strength, which is faith and relationship with the God of the universe. So, so we learn that we first have to be strong in the Lord by the power of his might. Not, like not our own strength, we learn that, right? But that the strength must come first from the Lord. And, and finally, we learn that three really important redemptive realities occur when we display this type of godly strength that Paul's talking about in Ephesians chapter 6. And, uh, chapter six. and one of them is that we, we please God the Father when we display this godly strength that he's provided for us. And, and number two, we witness to the people around us when we display this type of godly strength that he's provided. And then finally, we royally tick off the devil real bad when we are displaying this type of godly strength. And, and that brings us to today, part 36 of our Ephesians series titled, Reading for the Battle in the Christian War. And today we're looking at segment B of this conversation, and it's all about getting armored up 
for war. And, and we're at a point in the book of Ephesians right now where we're inching closer and closer to officially wrapping things, things up here. And I don't know about you, but this letter from Paul has been so good and so productive for my life. And, and last week, I listed up the end. The goal of this series is not only to discover who we are in light of Christ, but to deepen our relationship as lovers of God. And that's, and that's really, folks, the whole point of everything we're doing in our relationship with Christ. When we study God's word and we engage in repentance and we fellowship with our brothers and sisters and, and we take communion and we sing songs of adoration, it's all to expand our love for God and, and it's to grow and deepen as lovers of God, being satisfied in him, folks being satisfied in God forever. And so today, we continue diving head first towards this end goal of deepening as lovers of God as we learn what it means to stand victorious by armoring up in Christ for this war that we're in and that's ahead of us. And, and remember, it all starts with having confidence. It always starts here. It's about having confidence that we're strong in the Lord by the power of his might. Or, or in other words, to help you kind of understand what that kind of phrase means, if it sounds weird, it's about remembering that our strength comes from knowing that no matter what we go through in life, no matter what trial or tribulation or hardship or internal weakness or sin problem that we're working through. We serve a God that's that's in us and, and he's for us and he's all around us and he's ready to unleash reserved power on our behalf at a moment's notice. And that's and that's really, really good news. Yet, like I said in, in last week's sermon, there are definitely things, real things, that will make it easier for us to tap into that strength in the Lord. And there are most definitely things that will weaken our ability to tap into this reserved power that God God wants to unleash on our behalf. Therefore, these these things that strengthen us and weaken us, they, they ultimately affect our lives. So, so before we march into this conversation, about getting armored up today, and it's going to be so important, I want to remind you that we have a Pastor's Corner podcast for you to engage in where I really kind of conversationally fillet open six ways that we want to be really careful to not weaken our ability to tap into the strength of the Lord. And then I provide seven pastoral encouragements of ways that will really position you even more to feel strong Oh, folks, so strong in the Lord. So so seriously, make some time to do that this week. It's going to be so important if you have not done that already. Okay, okay. So, so here's the deal for today. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing the Word of God, right? So so wherever you go to church at or wherever you call um, you know home when it comes to church, wherever your church home is, make sure it's a place that believes in the Scripture and teaches the Scriptures and, and calls you to read the Scripture and provide you you with the scripture and seeks to call you into radical obedience, folks, to the scripture. And, and with that anthem lifted up right now, I'm going to read and teach and provide the scripture this morning. And I'm so pumped about that. And the goal is going to be that you and, and I would be glad in hearing the word of God right now and that we would ultimately be glad in obeying it and being submitted to it as a good, good thing for our lives. Okay, so so let's do this. Let's pick up in verse 10. Let's go and let's get into let's get into this text right here. Okay, Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10 through 20. Let's go. Okay. Finally, 
Oh, man. Okay, so here we have Paul, who is instructing the church in Ephesus, and for the entirety of this letter, he's been instructing the church on two main characters and their activities, right? And number one is God. We've been learning who God is and what God's done and what God is ultimately doing. And then the second character we've been learning about is us, right? We've been learning who we are and and what we're to do and how we're to do it. That's it, folks. There's been two main characters we've been camping out on. God in us, and that's what Paul's been focusing on throughout Ephesians, God and humans. Like, that's that's pretty easy, right? Okay, but, but here in chapter 6, Paul changes the subject matter quite a bit as he presents a third character in this narrative or this story that we haven't necessarily looked at too deeply or directly in Ephesians, not until at least last weekend. And I believe this character on purpose tries to pencil himself himself out of the script of many people's lives. Like he's trying to pencil himself out as a fictitious or a funny or an invisible or an unseen character. But Paul's saying in the text, no, no, we're, we're calling out Satan for who he is by name. So that's why Paul starts off with the word, finally. It's like he's saying to us, hey class, we've been really thorough so far learning about who God is and, and what our part is in it. However, I want to make sure you know before the semester ends that you have an enemy, a roaring lion. There's an adversary that wants to steal, kill, and destroy you. So so now Paul spends the last segment of these verses in the book of Ephesians talking about what is widely verbalized as spiritual warfare. And and this warfare is against demons and devils, right? They, th- these are real adversaries and enemies. It's it's not you or, or the person next to you or the person running the country or the person running another country. In fact, that's why Paul exhorts us in verse 12 when he says that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, right? But we do wrestle, don't we? Because we're in a fight and we're, and we're in a battle and we're most definitely in a war. But, but it's not a horizontal war. That's what he wants us to understand. This war is vertical, folks. But, but let me be clear. This, this vertical battle is not between us and God. It's between us and the devil. Now, now I'm not a demonologist or anything, and, and there are those who study this, and they center their whole life on this subject matter of the spiritual warfare and this principalities and the rulers of the air. But, but Paul does include it in the text, right? So we're going to study it faithfully and proportionately as we keep marching forward. Okay, let's keep reading verses 10 and 11. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Oh, the schemes, the schemes, the schemes of the devil. Or as we learned it in the Greek, the methods. Paul is telling us to be strong in the Lord by the power of his might and to put on the whole armor of God so that we can withstand the devil's methods and and his creativity and his insanity and the death and the anger and the violence that he wants to bear down upon us. So, So Paul's telling us we have to armor up. Because Satan, folks, Satan is real, and he's, and he's really mad. So, so we need to have our armor on against his defensive tendencies and the methods that he has against us. Okay, so, so then he says in, in verse 12, 
for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, right? But against the rulers and against the authorities and against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. Oh, this is going to be so important for us to remember. This is, this is what he's camping out and trying to get us to see in these spiritual forces of evil that are in the heavenly places okay so so our enemy is not our spouse it's not our kids it's not our boss it's not our it's not the government it's not the people around you it's really not you you think it is and sometimes i think it is but it's but it's really not in fact it's those four categories of enemies we learned about last week remember that it's it's the rulers that are against you it's the authorities that are against you it's the cosmic powers over this present darkness that are against you and it's the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places that are against you. And so Paul continues on in, in verse 13. He says, therefore, because of all these, you're not wrestling against each other, but you are against spiritual realities, against Satan and his demons. Therefore, th just get that right there. Okay, so when Paul says, therefore, he's saying, since this battle is a Christian war and it's happening right now, we got to do this, okay? Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Okay, so so because this is a very real war that we are in, we have to take up the whole armor of God, folks. Hey, hey, listen, the, the darkness is going to stand up. Oh, yes, it is. And, and it's out there most definitely. And it's, and it's not going away in this present form of the world. So we have to stand. Paul is telling us that we have to stand firm against the enemy that has no plans of backing down. So, so in a world that doesn't stand for much, Paul is exhorting us to stand firm. But but Paul doesn't just leave us with instructions to simply stand. Folks, I love this about God and his word. God inspires Paul to give us his marching orders so that we can be confident in knowing how to do that. Let's let's look at that now in verse 14. Stand therefore. I love that, right? There in verse 13 it says, "Hey, because of all these rulers and principalities, you got to put on the whole armor of God so you can stand." And then in verse 14 it says, "Stand therefore in this way. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth." Oh man, this is a good one. Okay, so so what's the opposite of the truth? We all know what that is, right? It's a lie. So, so we don't want to be people that look to get dressed in a bunch of lies today. That's what Paul's saying. And we also don't want to be people that walk around buying into a bunch of lies either. And, and Paul's saying, no, don't do that. Don't live like that. Go after the truth because the truth will set you ultimately free. Okay, so here's two things about the truth. Number one, hey, just tell the truth. Always tell the truth. And then number two, radically believe the truth, and the truth is found in his word. Okay, now let's look at it from the opposite side. Here, here's two things about lies. Hey, don't tell them. Duh, don't be like that. And don't be a fool. Hey, folks, we can't go around believing lies. That's the belt of the truth, folks. It pulls us away from being a liar. Are you tracking with me? When we put on the belt of truth, we're going to talk about this later, it pulls us away from the from the tendencies of lying. So, so don't tell them and also don't 
believe them. So so don't be a liar and a weirdo, right? Because if you're a liar and you're being a weirdo lying all the time, it's just not it's not good. It's like you're taking off the belt in the middle of a battle and you're walking around unprepared. Like would you take your 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 belt off in the middle of a war? No, it'd be like you're undoing yourself and you're sub, you're sabotaging yourself. Nobody would do that. Okay, now folks, we we naturally we're liars. Let's just be honest. Naturally we we hide stuff, right? Like like Adam and Eve, right? Like the first sin, what did they do? They started. They just started lying, and that was the beginning of us hiding and running away from our problems and, and lying and minimizing things and all sorts of character problems. So, so Paul's saying, let's get truthed up now. Let's, let's not be liars, but, but it's also a warning for us to not believe in lies, because if we believe lies, folks, we're going to get cooked. And we're going to be done as Christians. Hey, hey, check this out. Did you know that lies, if you believe a lie that is not true, it has the power over you that it doesn't necessarily have the merits to possess? Did you know that? Did you know that lies will cause you to do crazy things, even though there's no merit to what's being said or declared? Folks, a lie doesn't have to be true to be powerful. A lie can be absolutely false, and yet it will change the whole way that you live. So when you hear a lie from the enemy or a lie from your own self or a lie from someone else, it has the potential to change the whole trajectory of the way you're living. And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. Put the belt of truth on. You have to know where the truth is because the truth is so critical. In John chapter 8, verse 44, it says, The devil is the father of all lies. So, so please don't team up with him, right? And, and then in John 10, it says, Jesus said, Abide in my word, and my word will abide in you. And then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Boom! Belted up, right? That's armored up status right there. Well, 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 how do how do I know if I'm being lied to, Pastor Brandon? Well, well, you better know what the word of God says, folks. You just better know the truth. And that means you gotta open your Bible. Well, well, my teacher said, and my professor said, and the, the government says, and my parents said, and my own mind said, and and I feel okay. Well, well, there's there's the problem right there. Like, how many times have you responded and acted and lived because of either your feelings or because someone told you something you didn't check it out in the scripture okay your your feelings are just feelings they they just feel things they're not right and people are just people they're not god right they're not God. But but let me tell you what you need to feel. You you need to feel the need to know the truth. Like like your feelings can do whatever they do, mine do too, but the truth must win out. The truth is the belt and the truth wins. Oh man, we got to keep going. Okay, so then Paul says in verse 14, uh, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Okay, so righteousness comes as you protect your heart from doing sinful stuff. Are you tracking? And as you embrace the righteousness of Christ, your heart becomes more and more protected. Let's keep going to verse 15. And, And as shoes for your feet... Huh. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Okay, so are you aware of how you walk? Like, do you know what your steps are? Do you know what rhythm of walk you're supposed to operate under? 
Okay, so track with me like this. We're all to be walking to the gospel rhythm of life. Your step and my step and their step are all supposed to be harmonious amongst each other and with God. Okay, so so where do you go and, and where do I go and, and what are we supposed to bring with us whenever we bring ourselves somewhere? Okay, so the answer is supposed to be the gospel, folks. This is the whole point, being marked by going. We're supposed to bring the gospel with us everywhere. We're supposed to bring the gospel with us when we go to the store, when we go to our children's recital, when we go to our homes and in our neighborhoods. The gospel is to be embodied inside of us. The gospel, the good news, because if you're standing on anything else, anything else but the gospel, eh, weird, right? It's all going to fall apart. apart. So, so we need to know the gospel, we need to trust the gospel, and we need to be ambassadors of the gospel. That's the only thing, folks, that will ultimately stand. Okay, let's keep tracking now to verse, um, verse 16. In all circumstances, oh man, remember, all in all circumstances doesn't mean like more important than, but instead it means literally on top of or in front of. It means to protect everything underneath it. So, so in all circumstances, we want to put up the shield of faith to protect everything else we've been talking about so far. Okay, so with that understanding, okay, hold it, hold, hold this, hold this together with that understanding, okay, in all circumstances, take up that shield of faith with which you can um, extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Now, now some of you just have to own this reality. You got to get this in your mind. There really is a wicked one that is firing darts at you. He's doing it all day long. And some days it's more noticeable than, than others, right? But there's darts in the air, folks. You got to know that. There are fiery accusations of your past and threats towards your future coming at you. Anybody else besides me have these time to time? Like like all of a sudden, a, a fiery dart hits you regarding something you did way back maybe in junior high school that you're ashamed of, and you're like, whoa, where did that thought come from? Why am I even thinking about that? Okay, so what Paul's saying in the text is that that is a fiery dart of accusation from the enemy aimed at your heart. So, so we better put that shield of faith up to catch those darts, right? Okay, now let me tell something really important. Whenever the devil accuses me personally, you, Pastor Brandon, whenever I'm accused of something in my past with those fiery darts, usually Satan attacks me with the truth. So, so he'll say something like, hey, Brandon, remember on that day? You remember what you did? You remember who you were, you little waste of life? You, you're a bad person. You remember that bad thing you used to do? And folks, on those days, I have to put the shield of faith up, right, to catch those darts so that I can respond and say to, to, to Satan, Satan, hey, you know what, Satan? You're right. I, I did do those things, and, and that's why I'm standing on the gospel, Satan. Jesus Christ died and was buried and rose again on my behalf, and that's my shield of faith. So, so go to hell, Satan, and stay there because I'm not interested in tagging along with you. And folks, that's the only time, right, that we can tell anyone to go to hell, right? Satan himself. Now, never forget the, that anthem we talked about based off of that acronym, Faith, right, that I taught you last week. Forgetting all, I trust him. Forgetting it all, I trust God. Because when you do that, you are able to extinguish those destructive 
darts. Hey, but please know those darts are going to keep coming at you the rest of your life. They're not going to stop coming. So we got to learn to put that shield of faith up. Okay, so then Paul says in verse 17, and don't just do that. Don't just in all circumstances take up that shield of faith and take up the helmet of salvation. And and here Paul's talking about your mind and your decisions and your thinking, which is to be wrapped up, right, and protected by the reality that you're saved. That's the helmet of salvation. And I'm hoping that we get to talk about that at greater length next Sunday. Let's let's keep tr- excuse me, let's keep tracking and take up the helmet of faith and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And folks, we just need to understand that God's sword is God's word. Are you tracking? God's word, we can reverse it, is God's sword. And it cuts through the darkness and it cuts through the lies. And and the sword of the spirit does, does things and it illuminates things that nothing else can ultimately do. That's what his word does. It's so precious and it's so productive. So so I hope you believe in his word, and I hope you're a lover of his word, and I hope you are a student of his word, and I hope you're convicted by his word, and I hope you're drawn to his word, and I hope you appreciate God's word. Because God said in Psalms 138 that he esteemed his word and elevated it even above his own name. We learned that, right? That's that's amazing. His word is up there. It's a really big deal. It's been preserved, it's been prepared, and it's been provided for, folks, and it's been most definitely proven. Okay, in verse 18, it says, praying. Okay, so, so hey, in all circumstances, put that shield of faith up, take on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Verse 18, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Like, oh man, Paul didn't miss anybody in that rundown, did he? Are you feeling the energy coming across Paul in this verse, folks? He's calling us to pray in the Spirit always. Like, like, have you ever been with a coach and an athlete? You know the athlete has all this great potential, but you also know what's at stake for the athlete that's in a battle that's ahead. So, so you're looking at your athlete and you're the coach and you're saying to him or her, hey, when you go back out there, if you just do these three things, and I, and I know I'm your coach and I know I'm not participating, but, but you are, and I know you feel like you're about to die, but if you can just do these three things as hard as it, as it may feel to you, hey, you're going to win this game. And then you say, you got to give me everything you got. Come on, let's go. Okay, okay. so that's what Paul's doing for us, folks. He, he's playing coach, and he's saying, I know what lies ahead of you. I know you feel like it's a lot, and, and I know what it feels like to have nothing left in the tank, but it's the fourth quarter now, my spiritual children. Do these things and give it all you got, because if you do, you're going to win. You're going to be victorious. But but here's where it gets even deeper. Remember, Paul's not just asking us to give all that we got. He's actually asking us to give that which we cannot do on our own. He's actually asking us to do what's completely impossible. And you remember who gives us the power to do the impossible, right? The Holy Spirit does. Folks, this is another exhortation about the Spirit-filled life that God's called us to. we got to be Spirit-filled, fully focused on Jesus everywhere and all 
the time. And, and that's why we started in verse 10, right? That's where we came from at the beginning. Remember, before Paul gives us all these marching orders of everything we are to do within each and every one of these different pieces of armor, we, we first learn that it's to be founded upon and established on the reality that our strength comes from the Lord by the power of his might. It, it's by the strength of his reserved power, ready to be unleashed in us and through us and for us that we're able to do all these things and activate this armor. It's not our power, folks. It's God's. Lean in. God today is only asking you to do that which you cannot do yourself. I'm going to say that again. God is only asking you today to do that which you cannot do for yourself. Just wrap your mind around that. It's crazy and it's a little bit scary, but it's also exciting. And here's why. Because when we do that which we are completely incapable of doing on our own, but we trust him and then we do it, folks, God gets the glory. And when you realize that and you recognize that and you internalize that he is the one, you glorify him and you find satisfaction and peace and rest and riches and so much more in Christ. Okay, okay so let's, just, let's keep going and let me at least acknowledge these last two verses today. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth Boldly, Paul says, to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Wow. So powerfully laid out by Paul. It's so right and it's so productive. Thank you, God, for this word. Let's, let's pray and let's get into this. Father, Oh man, in Jesus' name, your word has been read, and I pray that as we study your word together, that we would be encouraged and that we would ultimately grow. I pray that our faith would be known in this crazy world and in a culture that loves to dress up on Halloween so that they can dress up and pretend like they're someone else for the night. I pray that we would get radically focused on getting dressed up today to actually be who we are called to be, that we would armor up, meaning that we would put on the whole armor of God, not because of holidays and not because we're religious, but because we're being shot at God. Jesus, help us to know that this is the real deal, and it's the real deal because you've asked us to do that, which we cannot do ourselves, but you've also provided the means for us to do it, and that's crazy. So, so I pray in Jesus' name that every man and every woman here, young and old alike, would just man up, that we would war up, and that we would suit up with the armor of God just as you've laid it out, because it's so simple but it's so productive for our lives. And I'm praying in Jesus' name that this, is, that this becomes our reality, that we would understand that we are not wrestling and fighting against each other, and that we wouldn't be warriors any longer horizontally, but that we would be warriors vertically that we would be champions and leaders in our communities, in our homes, in our jobs, and even within our own minds. Even today, begin to heal us, 
Heal us, God, through the power and the preaching of your word and the gathering of your people. We need you, Lord, for us right now to do the things that we cannot do ourselves. So thank you, Lord, in advance for the time today that we're already having together. And I pray now in the power of the Holy Spirit that your word would become clear and applicable to our lives. It's because of your beautiful name that we pray. Amen. So, so, so good. Okay, so so Pastor Paul here is giving us some strong, strong exhortations at the end of this letter. Oh, man, it, 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 it's Father Paul, Soldier Paul, Warrior Paul, Commander Paul, right? He's, he's here, and, and when I look at the things that Paul is talking about in this scripture, our Father in the faith, it's like I imagine him looking to us as spiritual kids, and he's saying, hey, hey, I've instructed you a lot about these two main characters. Uh, namely God and you and, and, and how we have this relationship with him and who God is and what he's done and what he's provided and who you are and what you get to do about it. But before I send you out to battle right now, I want to make sure that you're well informed about one more thing. And that's folks that we're in. We're in a very real War now. Now, in recent uh, 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 history, our country hasn't been to the biggest of wars, right? But we have been in some wars, nevertheless. We we've gone to a, a war with Iraq and we've invaded Afghanistan, right? So, so you know what it's like to be in war times, or at least I do a little bit. And I'm sure there's some of us who know it even on a more intimate and deeper level if you've spent some time in the military. So, so do you remember when we invaded Iraq? Like, do you remember Desert Storm and and all that was going on at that time? Like, do you remember those Scud missiles and those Patriot missiles? And everyone was gathered around the TV and we're all watching it on live streams. And, and because there was a real war going on, we were radically engaged as a country, right? We were all leaned in and we were all wondering what was going to happen. And we were wondering and we're kind of waiting to see how things would ultimately how they would ultimately turn out. And so here in the text, Paul's reminding us that not horizontally, but, but vertically, there's scud missiles being fired at us right now as we speak. And he doesn't exhort you and me because of that to go find a bunker and to, and to hide ourselves away, right? That's not what we see in the text. He doesn't ask us to plant a church called us for bars on the door and no more, right? That's not what we see in the text. Nope. Paul doesn't tell us to run away, but rather he tells us to armor up, armor up. And that is a serious exhortation to stand on the front lines. And we're often like, um, excuse me, Paul, front lines, don't you want us to get in the back? And, and Paul's like, nope, nope, not in the back. You've been called on the front lines, but make sure you bring that shield with you because you're going to get shot at, but it's all good because God's going to be with you and God's going to ultimately cover you. Okay, so our part is to follow Commander Paul right now in the text as he's reminding us about this, this Christian war that we're in. And, and you might say to yourself, you know, Pastor Brandon, I'm not really into all this spiritual warfare stuff. That's just not my thing. I'm not into all that. Okay, but guess what? And this is really important. That spiritual warfare stuff is intimately into you. And that's what I, what Paul wants to remind you on. And, and I want you to know that this spiritual warfare stuff, it loves you and it desires to lay in bed with you and to seduce you and to woo you and to ultimately, folks, 
ultimately to take you out and to destroy you. It's like those Uncle Sam pictures, right? You've seen those before where it's like, I want you. That's, that's what spiritual warfare is, is saying to you. Okay, so, so spiritual warfare wants you and it demands to have you desperately. So if you're the person that says, you know what? Love is my religion. Love is my religion. I'm a peaceful pacifist and I don't believe in war and I refuse to participate in violence. Hey, if that's you, I want you to know that I get it. I really do. I'm I'm with you on all this love and kindness things and not fighting and violence. I, I understand, but I want you to know that Satan, he doesn't play that way. And you just need to know that this morning. He doesn't sign peace treaties. He, he doesn't make deals. He doesn't calm down. He's a renegade. He's ruthless. He is worse than your darkest imagination could ever conjure up. You need to know that. Today's about exposing him for who he is. So, so Paul wants you and, and me to be aware that we're in a real war. Whether we like it or not, we are in this incredibly bloody, soul-snatching war. Paul wants you to know that Satan has your name and he has your number and he has your rank and he knows your home address and he knows every single one of your family members and folks, their social security number. And Paul wants you to know that Satan is coming for you and he's coming against you with different insidious, specifically constructed methods and schemes of attack. And they're all aimed at destroying your life here on earth, folks and ultimately to destroy your life spiritually. And, and what I really desire for you this morning when you leave here today is to hear the simplicity of my teaching today based upon the word of God in a way that causes your heart to say this, Lord, give me a cognitive understanding of the methods of the devil. That's, that's my hope today, that, that we would all walk away saying, help me, God, by the power of the Holy Spirit to be more sensitive and, and more aware of the devil's schemes. Help me to not under-spiritualize things. Okay, okay, so, so here's my first question to you. It's going to be on your screen right now. It's going to be so important. Here it is. Are you guilty of often falling into the trap of under-spiritualizing things? Like, are you awake or are you asleep? Like, like just answer that right now for a moment. Like, like, is your anthem in life like, oh, well, tough luck. It just must be. It must be my luck. It just must be the way it is. It must not be. God's will. Like, do you tend to under-spiritualize things in your life? Is there no category at all, brother or sister, for you that you're actually in the great Christian war and that certain things and that, that are happening to you in the earth realm may be because of an adversary that's preying on you in the in the spiritual realm? And like, are you asleep? Are you awake to this? You remember in part 24 of our Ephesians series, we talked about that. Awake, O children of the light. Now, now for balance purposes, we want to always be in that tension uh, and, and to set us up to build out this really important conversation we're going to have just a little bit later in the sermon, I do want to acknowledge right now in our sermon that there is another camp out there that tends to over-spiritualize things, right? And that's where we have to find the, the pendulum, folks, right down the middle. We've talked about that before. We've got to find the biblical road of truth right down the middle where the pendulum belongs when we walk with 
Jesus. Not the excessive and the abusive road of over-spiritualization, right? We're not going to get anywhere with that, but we also don't want to fall into the trap of neglect and ignorance as we under-spiritualize things that are so spiritual, so important for our lives. But we want to find that biblical middle road of truth. And, and the Bible instructs us that we can find that road and we can have confidence in that. And we're going we're gonna to talk about that. But, but, but before we dive too deep into that, let me just make sure that we're all on the same page and that we're all in agreement that we're actually in a war, that there's actually a war going on. So, so, here, so here's my question. When, when was the last time that you saw things in your life just spinning utterly out of control, like just random stuff, just, man, my life, my day, my month is out of control. Or maybe it wasn't you, but it was things going on around you with people that are in your life and things were just going cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Like like all of a sudden you hear a story of a, of a mom who dies in a car accident and then two months later her, her teenage daughter gets cancer and you're just like, what is going on? How much can this family endure? Like, really, God, what's going on? Or, or maybe it's just something very, very practical. It doesn't have to be the big, the big tragic moments. It can be very practical. It can be something that you just kind of, kind of have some fear around, and you've worked hard to avoid it your whole life. Maybe it's bankruptcy, or getting a divorce, or being fired from a job, or just being rejected in relationship you you fill in the bank uh, in the blank and and all of a sudden you're you're freaking out and you're like darn it happened that that thing i worked so hard to avoid my whole life it just happened the whole thing fell apart how did this happen to me i did everything right and things didn't turn out well okay okay so so the tendency and, and folks this is satan's part this is his main method but but the tendency is that we either blame people and that includes ourselves when we look at the man or the woman in the mirror or we blame god for those moments when when things go go, go wrong we wonder man god if you would have just stepped up for me if you would have leaned in things would have been so much so much better. Or or we blame people and we're like, man, if that person wouldn't have done that, my my situation would have been so much, so much smoother. And it's crazy, right? But we often think like this. It's very natural for us and for me to think like that. We we believe and we act like other people and ourselves are the main problem and they're the main enemy and the main obstacle in our lives. And for some of you, you really have internalized and you really believe that you're the main problem always in your story. And you have great shame because of that. And yet for others, there's just deep relational difficulty that you track with all the time in your relationships. And you're always pointing the finger saying, if this person would have done that and this person would have done that. And so you struggle in relationships. And then there's God, right? Oh man, let's just talk about God. <laughs> because some of us think either, either A, God must just not be the guy that I think he is. Like he's just not strong enough to be a, the, the real God. And I blew it. Why did I ever choose the Christian God? But Folks, don't believe that. That's all Satan. He's lying to you. He is the culprit who whispers those lies. Just because you prayed about something or for something or against something and it didn't turn out the way you thought it should turn out or perhaps things still fell apart, it doesn't mean that God was lacking power or presence in the situation. It doesn't mean he's not real. Yet yet others of us, <laughs> we think that God just must be some kind of a supernatural jerk 
jerk and that he doesn't care. Like you, you've resolved in your heart and in your head that if he would allow this terrible thing to happen or he wouldn't intervene in this moment, he must either not have the power to stop it or he doesn't care enough to get involved. And so the tendency is for, is for Satan to mess with you and then to mess with me and then, and then to mess with us. And then he fades away into the background. And then all of a sudden, I'm fighting with you and I'm fighting with me and I'm fighting with God. Do you see how that works? And the devil smiles and he gets his latte and he sits back and he's like, cool, cool. I've performed my method. I've succeeded. And then he moves on, folks to the next. So so instead of doing that, how awesome would it be if we as the people of God, spirit-filled Christians who are fully focused on Jesus everywhere and all the time, now because of Paul, Commander Paul, giving us an orientation to our enemy, how awesome would it be if we were to go to battle against the real enemy? namely Satan and his his dominions against the unseen enemy, radically understanding that there is darkness all around us and it's on the prowl. But oftentimes we, we fail to lean into that reality about that adversary that's working against us. But folks, it's time for us to recognize and to respond to that. But, but you know, there's people in our country that are going to say things like, actually, the world's getting better. The world's actually getting better better. And let me just be honest, when I hear things like this, I'm like, wow, like, are you a cartoon or something? Are you kidding me? Do you mean cartoons are getting better? I know you don't believe the world's getting better. And they're like, oh, sure, sure. Yeah, the world's getting better. Internet speeds are improving and work productivity is up 30% in the last five years. And I'm like, okay, all right. If you if you're referring to the world getting better because of our internet speed and work productivity, I get it. I guess the world's getting better from that perspective. But folks, everything else that matters is getting worse. That's what the Bible communicates. The devil would love. Oh, he loves when the people of God come to the faulty conclusion that things are getting better in the world when it's clearly getting wickedly, wickedly worse. You know why? Because then he's able to fade back into the background where we don't where we don't see him and i already told you last week that the second biggest lie that satan ever told was that he doesn't exist and that he's not present and that he's not readily active in his tendencies and in his methods to take us out like like he plays like he's just some innocent little cartoon character with red horns and a cute little pot belly with nice cushy plush fur for you to give to your child to sleep with at night okay so so in light of all these things let me ask you another important question it's going to be on your screen take it take it seriously here here it is are you in a real and personally difficult spiritual battle right now? Are you in one? Like, what do you think? Is it yes or no? Are you personally in a, in a serious spiritual battle at this point in your life? Okay, okay, eyes up here. Look, look, hear me out, hear me out. The answer is yes. Yes, you are. We all are. Even if things are going great right now in your life and you don't feel any present sense of adversity in your life relationally or spiritually or anything else, you are most definitely in a spiritual battle just by default because you're a part of humanity and your enemy hates, 
hates, hates your very existence. And I'll be the first to admit right now, Pastor Brandon's going to put himself up on this, that my spiritual tactics are a bit rusty, folks. And, and I also need to come to God's word more for guidance here on this spiritual warfare stuff. And I've been camping out in my personal study, armoring up and preparing to be more responsive as a, as a Bible-believing Christian. Because things, folks, are really, really crazy right now. And God is guaranteed in the scripture that they're going to get even worse. And then they're going to get even worse. And that, folks, is not up for debate at all. And I'm not trying to be a gloom and doom guy this morning, but just read the book. I'm being serious. Like, actually open and actively read your Bible. God in his word declares clearly that the world is going in one direction. And it's a bad, bad direction. It's it's worsening, and there's not going to be any collective reverse curve, and the Bible warns us about that. So, so okay, so, so God says, it's going to get crazy. Uh, it's going to get really crazy, and it's going to get really evil, so 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 you got to have your armor on. And, and we often respond, we're like, well, God, why don't you just stop the crazy, right? You're God. Why don't you just stop the crazy? And, and God responds to us, and he says, no, not right now. I'll stop the crazy in my own time. But right now, what I'm calling you to do is to armor up. And I need you to stand. And, and as a matter of fact, folks, when Jesus died and he rose again, he demonstrated great power as he redeemed the whole world. And, and his apostles, who were once the disciples, but now they're apostles in Acts chapter 1, they're like, how sick was that, God? Wow, you rose from the dead. You did all these cool things. Like, is this now the time where you're going to take over all the governments? Are you going to leave? Are you going to rule and reign now? Are you going to be the king over our earth in its present form? And, and, and Jesus looked at them and he said, that's not for you to know the time and seasons when I'm going to do all those things. But here's what I want you to do. Get armored up. That's what this sermon's about. Jesus says, hey, you're going to get my power and the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is going to empower you to be witnesses to the whole world. And if you don't remember from earlier in our Ephesians series, the word witness comes from the word martyr, which translates in the Greek martero, which means essentially one who gives his life both physically and spiritually for the sake of the gospel. Okay, okay, so 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 here's my next question. Holding all this attention, we're building something today. Now, now it's on your screen. Here's here's that question. Do you live like a witness of the gospel? Like, like, are you a martyr like God has both called and equipped you to be? Do you live your life in such a way that you are willing to give it up physically? That means to the point of death and, and spiritually, meaning God's word over your feelings. And relationally, meaning submitting your personal preferences and considering the sake of others first. And, then, and also financially, how you spend your money. Are you willing to live in that way and do it all for the sake of the gospel? Okay, and I want to give you a few moments to really, really answer that question from the depths of your heart. Just be honest. Are you living that way or are you or are you not? Now, now I don't know how that question sits with you. I'm just being honest. I don't know. I'm, I'm, not, sure, I'm not sure how you feel about the command to be armored up. 
at all times and every single day. I'm not sure how you feel about what it actually means to be a true biblical martyr for God. And I'm definitely not sure how you feel about Jesus saying that things are going to get worse and darker and wickeder and, and they're not going to get better and that it's not our place to know when they are going to get better because, because I know that I want things to be right in my life. I'm just being honest. I want things to be right and I want them to be right right now. And I'm assuming you do too, right? Like, did you know there's actually a small minority group in the Christian world called Kingdom Now Theologist? There they are, and and they're responding to some of this stuff, and and essentially this this group believes that um that we're going to make things better on the earth, and that we're going to create heaven right now on earth, and and when we keep doing that as spirit filled Christians, it's going to entice the Lord to return eventually to collect His now redeemed and beautiful bride in the church, and and they have this real hope, and they have this honestly very attractive confidence that there's going to be this euphoria and joy and love and, and beauty so deeply in the church that permeates permeates all over the planet that in, that it increases um, Christian healing across the whole world by the power of the Holy Spirit. They'll even acknowledge that and that it comes to, to such a grand level of love and euphoria that Christ returns to see his beautiful bride. But folks, that's why you have to read your Bible carefully and seriously. That's why you need to be a Bible-reading, Christ-submitting Christian. And folks, hey, look at me. That's why you need to make sure you're in a church that radically takes Scripture and reading it seriously because God clearly tells us in the text it permeates all over the Old Testament through the end cover to cover that things are going to get crazy wicked each year that moves forward until Jesus finally returns and says enough the period of patience is over like can't you see the Bible is communicating the exact opposite of this kingdom now mentality, but you won't know that if you're not engaging in your Bible. And because the world is wickedly worsening, Paul says, you need to war up. You need to suit up with your armor on. This war is coming for you. And you've been called to be God's witnesses and warriors in this in this war and paul saying hey i'm apostle paul i'm commander paul i'm father paul i'm warrior paul and i don't even have all the answers i i don't that's what paul's saying god didn't give me all the answers but what he did give me is commanding marching orders to give you as a warrior in this battle and that's to stand firm and to get armored up Okay, okay, so so how do we respond to the spiritual battles, folks, that are all around us? How do we how do we discern rightly the, the evil and the pain and the crazy and the weird and the wacky and the wicked things in our lives? Okay, well, like I said earlier today, now's the time. There, there there's two main camps out there, and there's one on the far left, and there's one on the far right. And, and the one on the far right is where we're going to start, and it's the camp of excessive and abusive tendencies in spirituality. This camp tends to over-spiritualize and over-emphasize things 
disproportionately. It's like you turn the lights on and then the, the light accidentally flickers in your house and that person starts rebuking the demon of the light bulb and he's like, I rebuke you, I rebuke you, I rebuke you. Like it gets it gets crazy. Or or as soon as someone sneezes, you start you start rebuking the demon of sneezing, you're like, right? And they start they start freaking out and, and over spiritualizing everything. Like you've seen this before. Like some of our charismatic Pentecostal friends and brothers in Christ have definitely uh, veered too far to the right. And, and here's the problem with that, folks. If you get stuck overemphasizing and over-spiritualizing things, our eyes, this is the point, our eyes are taken off God's Word because we're so caught up in our feelings, our eyes are not focused on what God is actually saying. And the result is that Satan smiles, gets his latte, and sits back belly laughing. He's laughing at us, and he fades into the background as we focus on the meaningless, utterly meaningless realities, totally open to his fiery darts. And he says, yep, my work is done here. They didn't armor up, so I got them. And, and he takes the kill shot, folks. Bang! And he connects every single time. Okay, but then on the far left is the camp of neglect and, and ignorance, right? And, and people in this camp of thinking tend to underemphasize things and under-spiritualize things. And, and folks, it's honestly just as problematic. It just is. So when, when, when things get difficult and things get hard and things get wacky and things get ugly, people that tend to under-spiritualize things, uh, they'll say, well, well, I must just be an idiot because things didn't turn out the way that, I sh that, that it should. Of. I thought I did everything right, and, and they must be wrong too because obviously things didn't turn out right for them, so they clearly were at error, and, and that person over there, they, they must not care enough because obviously they're still struggling, and they're having the same problems and, and the same weaknesses, right? And so they'll say things like They'll say things like that. And when we think like that and we act like that, Satan steps back and smiles and says, Oh, oh, I like that. I like it a lot. That will do a whole lot of good for you. Like, keep fighting that battle sucker. Keep focusing on why you can't change and why you can't grow yourself and why others around you are falling so short. You go right ahead. You get as frustrated as you want about your growth or other people's growth and why they're not growing fast enough. Because, But it doesn't stop there, folks. It doesn't. Because when we often under-spiritualize things like our marital conflicts or parental challenges or relational difficulties or workplace tension and we under-spiritualize life and health and mental illness and we jump to medicating things before we even begin to do the hard work of looking at it from a spiritual perspective. Hey, hey and when we do these things and we under-spiritualize things, when people call us and they tell us that they're sick or they're filled with disease and we say to ourselves, well, well, that just must be the way it is. They should have focused more on having a cleaner diet, folks. When we act like that, we don't go to battle for them, and we don't lovingly intercede for them as spiritual warriors. And because so much of our thinking is based off of our natural discernment, our eyes are completely taking off track from God's Word. That's the danger, and, and, and that's critical because it's God's Word that provides spiritual discernment that we so desperately need, folks, to think and to respond to our earthly lives 
redemptively. So, so when we ignore and we neglect and we refuse and we distract ourselves in this way, Satan smiles and he, and he fades into the background and he says, yep, my work is done here. They didn't armor up. So I got them. And he takes the kill shot. Bang. And he connects every single time. Okay, like lean in. Okay, so, so the road of truth that keeps us from venturing down either faulty road, which has trouble and traps on both sides of over-spiritualizing things and, and under-spiritualizing things, and most importantly, the, the way that we avoid t- getting ourselves in the position to, for Satan to take that kill shot at us, it's the Bible, folks, and it's the Bible every single time. It's, it's really that simple. The Bible teaches us everything, everything that we need to know, and, and in the Bible it says, finally, verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes and the methods and the insidious tendencies of the devil. Okay, 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 so how do we stand? Let's look at that. It's on your, your screen. We are called to stand by making sure we don't fall into the faulty traps of over-spiritualizing and under-spiritualizing things. When we over-spiritualize things, our eyes are taken completely off track from God's Word. You see, without God's Word, we cannot see. And if we cannot see, then therefore, folks, we are blind. And if we are blind, we become an easy target for the enemy. Yet, yet when we under-spiritualize things, we remove our ability to go to battle and intercede for ourselves and others. This is because we are disconnected from the spirituality of God's Word, which provides the discernment we need to think and to respond to life's adversities. Therefore, we are called as the people of God to walk down the middle ground road of truth found in the Bible alone. This is God's design. Man, this is so simple, right? Yet it's so productive. Okay, okay, so, so, so this idea of spiritual warfare, at least here in the passage, it doesn't have a lot of offensive commands given. Like, did you notice that in the text? It doesn't. It's virtually all defensive strategies that are given. I want you to recognize that when you're reading God's Word. We're going to be strong readers of God's Word. Like, like we do get the offensive weaponry of the sword of the Spirit or, or the power of prayer and supplication. Those are definitely both both acts of assertive warfare activity. But folks, if you look at verses 10 through 20 in its entirety, a lot of it boils down to defensive tactics and strategies right in the midst of evil. It's about standing your ground, radically standing your ground. And and we are to find our confidence in the Lord as he promises his church in in Acts chapter 1 when he says, I'll be back and I'm going to finish this war and I'm going to finish this war in a mighty conclusionary it's going to be simple, and he's going to come, and it's going to be over when those trumpets sound. Okay, 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 okay. so here's my, here's my question to you regarding that. I want you to keep tracking with me mentally and spiritually through these questions. Here it is. It's on your screen. While you await Jesus' return to finally conquer all of your enemies, what are you supposed to be doing in the meantime? 
That's really the question. If Jesus promises us the war, what are we doing in the meantime? And here's the answer. Armor up. We got to armor up. We're not called to be demon hunters, but we are called to stand while we await our Savior's return to be the conquering king that he is and to armor up. We got to suit up. We got to armor up. We got to stand firm. And do you know why? Brace for impact. Here it is. Brace for impact. This is going to be weighty. This is going to be difficult, folks, because we're all going to die. We're going to die in the end. We're going to be martyrs and we're going to be cross bearers. And, and whether you like it or not, you're going to experience pow, 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 war your whole entire life because we're in a battle, folks, of the Christian war. And so, so I'm wondering if your life's been difficult or crazy before. And, and I'm wondering if your answer is no, if you recognize that your life is going to be crazy and difficult in the future. Because, because there's a camp out there. It's a very dangerous camp. There's a camp out there, though, that's going to tell you that if you believe in Jesus by faith, you don't have to be sick, and you don't have to experience pain in your life anymore. They'll, they're going to tell you things, and they're going to use the text, and they're going to say, by Jesus' stripes, you are healed. And they're going to sing songs over you all about saying, by Jesus' stripes, you are healed. By Jesus' stripes, you are healed. Therefore, you can speak it. Speak Speak healing over your cancer. Speak healing over any area, and you're going to be healed because you're a victorious Christian. Okay, okay. So here, here's the problem with that, folks. You ready? Here we go. It's not in the Bible. That is taken completely out of context. Yes, by Jesus' stripes, you are healed. When he intervenes and God wants to do the work, he heals of cancer and disease. And he does all these things. But folks, it's in his power, by his will, according to his purposes, not on yours. He's not a genie God. We don't get to activate that, folks. It's just not there in the scripture. Instead, what we actually see from Genesis to Revelation is a story of much pain and much suffering and a wicked crazy wicked amount of problems going on throughout the Bible, and it's still going on today. Like, do you know what else I see? I'll tell you what I see. But I also see great love and great perspective and great wisdom. And most importantly, I see great marching orders that were given by Commander Paul, Commander Matthew, Commander whoever to us. And it's about being prepared for battle and for war. And we're being called to stand firm. I'm going to keep saying that. you got to stand firm firm throughout your trials and tribulations. That's what we're called to do as Christians, and we're called to do that, folks, ultimately by faith. And, and the trials of life that God has allowed, these trials that bear resistance in your life and they cause you pain and frustration, folks, in Christ, here's the promise, they're always going to produce both growth and beauty for you to behold. Now, now, you and I, we don't want that pain and that frustration and that resistance, and, and we all want it to be easier. Don't get me wrong. I'm there with you, but here's the problem, folks. It won't produce anything good for us besides an easy chair, and folks, we don't need an easy chair in this Christian war. We'll be underdeveloped, and we'll be atrophied, and we won't be ready for the attacks of the enemy. So, so instead, God, knowing that in his infinite wisdom, says, I'm going to give you the armor that you need, and I'm going to ask you to walk this lonely and this long and difficult 
road. And, and, but I want you to know that in the power of my might, with my strength, and by utilizing my armor, you can stand. You can radically stand, and you can make it. But, but I want to be clear, folks. You and I, we can't do any of this stuff without God. That's why it starts in verse 10. You've got to hold the whole text in tension. That's what you've got to learn to do as a Bible reader. That's why Paul starts this conversation off in verse 10 saying, finally. Why do he say it that way? Are you getting what he's doing? He's saying, hey, brothers and sisters, before you head out and before you enter into your day and before you enter into the battle of your pain and your weaknesses and your like insidious bents towards uh, sin that you struggle with in life and before you enter into your relationships with your husband and your wife and your children and your employees and before you make decisions, you better armor up. You better armor up with the breastplate of righteousness and the shoes of gospel peace and the helmet of the helmet of salvation. You got to armor up because some of you, if you don't, you're not going to make it when Satan takes his shot. Family and friends, let me be clear. There will be death, there will be disease, and there will be divorce. Are you tracking? There just will be. It's a part of our earth. Like, well, well, why, Pastor Brennan? Because we have a really bad enemy, folks. That's what today's all about. It's exposing him. But sometimes we believe wrongly. That's why I get nervous for those who are only listening to the beginning of our Ephesians series, the seven identifiable blessings of the triune God. Oh, Pastor Brandon, that's my favorite part. I love that part. No, 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 no. Hey, sometimes we believe that because we are saved and we are chosen and we are adopted and we are redeemed and we are forgiven and equipped and uh, sealed forever and forever wealthy, we get so caught up in that disproportionate proportionately, and we start to think and believe that our life is just going to be awesome, and that's going to be legit, and we're not going to have any problems. But folks, I want you to know those feelings of euphoria are dead wrong. Yes, we are to have confidence in our position with God as we sit and know that he's God, and we are to have confidence that we are chosen and adopted and all these things. But we also need to understand, and Paul is making sure we understand, because God is inspiring him to tell us that life also goes terrible, radically terrible. Some of us are going to experience hard, 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 hard days ahead of us in our future. And honestly, some of us are already feeling them now. Some of us are going to experience things that we can't even imagine, and they're never going to turn around for us on earth. Let me say it again. Some of us are going to experience hard, hard days, and they're not going to get better while we're here on earth. Some of us are going to have our heart literally ripped out of our chest with news that's unfathomably difficult. It's just going to happen. Some of us are going to cry tears from the, from the bottom of our soul, and we're not going to even know that it was possible to be and that kind of pain, folks. And, and that's why you and me, we got to be armored up. So when the worst of days arrive, we're able to stand and we're able to defend and not get hit in the mouth so hard by Satan to be rocked so hard that we don't get back up. That's what this whole text is about. And honestly, I so desperately want you to be positioned to leave this sermon with the right heart and a proper biblical understanding of what the marching orders are from God through Paul 
for you today. And, and as your pastor, you have no idea. I've been praying like crazy for you, and I've been stressing out about this subject right here in verses 10 through 20 like you don't even know more than you know because I love each and every one of you so much, and I want you to get this so badly. But here's the thing. I can't make you grab a hold of it, folks, if you don't want it. So will you? Will you lean in to this conversation? Because Satan is big. Satan is bad, but he's not too big. He's not bigger than your God, but he's most definitely bigger than us. He's bigger than you and me. He, he's big enough to give you and me problems that you and I don't have a solution for, and we do not have the ability to handle on our own. Okay, okay, eyes up here with your mind so clear. Eyes up here with your mind so clear. Hey, look at me. You and I, we don't have what it takes to go to battle with Satan on our own. Stop it. You don't have the power. I don't have the power. He's going to take us out. We just don't. But with God's strength and his reserved power, you and I gain the ability because of the Holy Spirit to stand firm in the faith when he attacks us. Oh, man. But folks, for that to happen, you got to armor up with the armor of God. Like, have you ever seen soldiers that are dressed in their fatigues when they're going to Desert Storm or Iraq or Afghanistan or wherever they're they're going? Man, these women and these men are ready to go, aren't they? They got so much equipment on them, dude. It's like crazy. They have guns and automatic weapons and 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 weapons and knives and grenades and and they're fully prepared for war, right? They're they're ready. And none of them are wearing flip-flops, are they? Like, like it's crazy hot out there in Afghanistan, right? It's dangerously hot. Like, let's just be honest. Wouldn't it be so much more comfortable and convenient for some of these soldiers to put some flip-flops on, maybe a nice white t-shirt with a bottle of water and just get at least a, just a little bit more comfortable? But nope, that's not what we see. 100 degrees outside. What do we see these soldiers wearing in Afghanistan? Boots on, helmet on, armors up, guns ready, automatic weapons ready, walkie-talkie powered. They're ready for battle. They're ready for war. And they're ready for battle. Okay, okay, so, so you and I are God's Christian warriors fighting vertically against the demons and the spiritual principalities and the evil in heavenly places. So, so you and I need to put our boots on and we need to put our belts on and our helmet on and, and we need to get our stuff together. We got to get it together. Uh, but Pastor Brandon, I thought I was saved. Therefore, I'm safe. Yeah, but but you're wanted and you're hated by the father of all lies. Do you get that? And, and not just you personally, but the whole world is utterly broken and it's decaying, folks. It's decaying because of evil and sin and, and, and Satan and his insidious methods and plans. Like, did you know that the second law of thermodynamics clearly states that all things are going and moving from order to disorder? That's just simple science, folks. Science says the whole thing, the whole structure of the universe is falling apart. Oh, okay, so, so the Bible communicates it a bit differently, but it's rest assured it's saying the same thing. 
The same exact thing. But, but, but the only difference is the Bible takes it so much more deeper and it's so much more productive. And, and when it comes, to it, and the Bible also comes with information that allows us to increase our peace and to maximize our joy despite the darkness and the decay while we're here on a broken and decaying earth. Okay, so so it's a battle, and it's and it's going to be tough. It's going to be where ten out of ten people die every single time because, folks, we're all going to die. Do you hear me? We're all going to die, and I and I need you to realize that you're not immortal. Like 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 we all say that we understand that we're going to die, and we all kind of know that we're going to die. But but do you really get that? Do you really get that you're going to die and that it's you're going to die much sooner than you think? It's not going to be a long time from now that you would you and I are not going to exist anymore. Like, like, like how are you going to keep living like you have forever when you know that your time is limited? Like, how long are you going to pretend to yourself that where you're headed, where you're headed is not infinitely important and what you do now means nothing about where you're going? How long are you going to keep lying to yourself? Because that's, that's dumb. Like, and let's just be honest, we're all a little scared of death, aren't we? Let's just be honest. Death is death is scary. It just is. But but death is death, and death is difficult. Now it wasn't intended to be that way, but now it is, and we have to deal with this enemy of death. But folks, the fact that we have to deal with death anyway, the fact that we even deal with death, is indicative. Can't you see? Open your eyes. It's indicative that we're actually in a battle. The war is still going on. Death still remains at play in the physical realm or in the earth realm. Like, like can't you see? The battle is not over yet. That's why pain and death still remains. I know, well, God, Jesus conquered it all. Yes, he did. It's called the already but not yet principle. Like, like, Christ has overcome death in the spiritual, and now he grants us hope in the crazy event that we still have to experience in death in the physical. And, and Christ is asking you to both, and he's asking me to, to walk in life and to prepare to die in death armored up. We have to be we have to be ready and stay ready for this battle with the whole armor on as witnesses, martyrs proving to the world that he exists. And you better keep holding that intention, that word martyr, and what it really means, right? We're to be biblical martyrs. What we just looked at, we're giving up our relational realities and spiritual things and financial things for the sake of the gospel. Okay, so eyes up here with your mind so clear. Eyes up here with your minds so clear. Listen, I, I'm not claiming to have all the answers for you in today's sermon. I'm not. But, but what if you and I could prove that God really does exist? Like, what if we could prove that? What if, what if you and I could prove that he exists in the way that we pick ourselves up after a really terrible divorce? What if we could do that? Hey, hey, or, or, or what if we could prove that God exists in the way that we pick um, ourselves up after a miscarriage? Or, or what if you could pick yourself up um, after that abuse that you went through? And I, and I know it was difficult and I know it's painful, but what, what if you picked yourself up after that abuse with the armor of God? And, and what if you picked yourself up after that catastrophic financial co collapse because you were armored up? Hey, and, and what if you could pick yourself up after that rejection relationally or the bullying? 
bullying you that you went through, but you stand firm and you became still and stayed joyful. Hey, hey, what if your response to these things, what if Christians responded to these things so different and so steady because we all were strong in the Lord and covered by the armor of God? Well, I'm going to tell you right now what would happen. Hey, those around us would be witness to, witnesses to that. And they would all lean in and say, hey, I want to know more about your God. I want to know more about that steadiness. I want to know more about that stability. Please tell me about your God. And, and I said this last week, but, but how in the world are we supposed to see, uh, how in the world is the world supposed to see Jesus in us if we respond to our trials and our tribulations and our pain just like they do. Like, do you realize that you are attempting to live a life for Christ in a world that has a predisposition to reject you and mock you and ridicule you? They're not going to embrace you because you claim Christ. You got to display Christ-centered attributes, folks, and you can't do that without the strength of the Lord and the armor of God so that you can have a response that looks like Jesus in the face of the most difficult times of your life. Listen, we all live in America, right? And, and, our, and our freedoms are protected. And, and we have the right to pursue radically in America, like other place, places don't, our, our happiness. And it's totally guaranteed for us that we can pursue it. And it's totally protected in our, in our country for us to go after it. But, but I want you to know that the devil says, I'm going against the all of that. I'm going to fight you. I'm going to destroy you. And I'm not a, an American and I don't go by American law. So, so, so for this is what Satan's saying. So for me and my legion from hell, we don't see red, white, and blue. We don't care about red, white, and blue. And that means nothing to us down here in hell. But what we are going to do is we're going to hurt you. We're going to destroy you. And eventually, our kill shot is going to connect, and you're going to experience death. And we promise you that. And so God, he hears Satan, and he says, Hey, hey, children, hey, hey, children, armor up. Put your armor on right now. You're in a war. And he tells you that because when you bear witness when things go down, when you're being a witness when things go down and they don't go right, and you have confidence, and you have the ability in Christ to stand. And, le and let's just be honest. We, we not only want to have this confidence, right? We not only want to have confidence that we're going to be able to stand, but we are also looking for, from, for assurance, aren't we? We're looking for assurance from the God of the universe that he's going to take care of us, right? Like, let's just be honest. That's where we get stuck. It's not just like, can I stand? It's, but God, will you be there to provide for me? Will you take care of me? Who's going to take care of my heart? Who's going to take care of the things that I care about most? Will you show up for me and my family? But folks, he will. God is going to show up. He, he showed up for Deacon Stephen when he was being stoned to death. You look, at, you look at the book of Acts. When Deacon Stephen was being stoned to death because of his faith and his righteousness in God, oh, the, the heavens opened up as he's being stoned. And Stephen saw the heavens. And he had total peace in the moment 
of death. He, 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 Jesus showed up for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the book of Daniel. Go check it out. When they were sentenced to death and they were put into a fiery furnace, Jesus came and he was there. Oh man, he showed up for Job. Read it in the Old Testament. Job was mourning the loss of his wife and all of his children and all of his property because Satan was firing darts at Job, playing with Job, and God showed up for Job. So, so yes, God, he's going to be there and he's going to show up for you. And so you just have to get this, though, in your head and in your heart that the world is a battle zone. That's what Paul is getting you and me to see. This is not heaven. I'm going to say that again. You have to get it in your head and in your heart that this world is a battle zone and that it's not heaven. Therefore, when God shows up, it's going to look different. When God shows up to earth where the battle's going on, he's not always going to bring roses and lemonade. And if that's your expectation, of course you don't feel like he's showing up. But rather, when God shows up to earth, which is a battle zone, it often looks like him standing with you and for you and in you during the fight, in the battle, because this isn't heaven. So he comes with armor. He comes with protection. He comes with endurance. And he says, I got this. Walk with me. Walk with me because eventually you're going to be with me in heaven. That's, folks, where the war is over. That's where the war is not taking place. Therefore, should we spend our time in light of this trying to make everything primarily beautiful here on earth with our homes and, and all these things? Like, like, no way, right? That doesn't make any sense if you are opening your Christ-centered headlights on. Hey, careful. Be very careful about getting too attached and comfortable to this world in its pleasant form because the devil has his sights on you and me and you and I better have our armor on. That's what we're talking about today. And I don't know, and I'm telling you right now, I know that I don't have all the answers for you. And I wish I did. I wish that Pastor Brendan had an answer for all your pain and that I could tell you how you can have no pain here on earth. And, and I wish I could give you like seven ways to get all your pain to go away, but I couldn't. You know why? Because I get this far. Step one, get to heaven. Step two, repeat step one and get to heaven. Because that's not going to be offered here, folks, on earth. That's as far as I could take that request. So, so I want you to leave here today just thanking the Lord. Just thank the Lord for his armor. Don't complain. Thank him for the armor and just thank him for his power over sin and darkness. And, and ultimately, I want you to walk away from the sermon unafraid and radically equipped to do your part. Now, now don't worry. We're going to study this some more next week, which will likely be our last sermon in Ephesians. We're going to discuss practically these pieces of armor. We're going to look at them, uh, the breastplate of, of righteousness and the shoes of gospel peace. We're going, to, we're going to look at these things and we're going to learn how to, how to walk them ultimately out. But today is all about understanding that we need to get armored up. We got to create the category right now that we need armor. You can't appreciate the sermon or this conversation about the individual armor pieces if you don't radically believe and accept and own and embody that you need the armor in the first place. 
in this Christian war. But so, so, so for now, I want you to prepare to leave today matured, saying, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me for being blind to the spiritual war and the warfare. And forgive me for, for being ignorant here. And, and forgive me for attacking others when they're not my enemy. Because we don't battle against flesh and blood, verse 12, right? So we need to begin asking God for forgiveness every time we choose to fight horizontally in our relationships. We got to do that. So, so if you could just lean in and really own what Paul is saying here in the text, like, wouldn't it be awesome if we all left here today more confident in the Lord and more confident in what we're supposed to do when we face struggles and experience adversities? And and remember, Paul isn't asking anyone to be a demon hunter. He's not. But he's just calling us to be armored up and to stand firm because the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion and he's trying to devour you and to take you out. Okay, okay. So so here's how I want to land the plane here this morning. This is going to be so important. I want to keep building this illustration. I want us to understand why we need the armor. We need to create this category that the armor of God is so essential, it's so valuable, and it's so productive for our lives. So I'm going to share with you an old but a radically encouraging blog back from 2014, and it's one of my all-time, it's one of my all-time favorites. It was penned on October 1st by a very gifted and a very young man. And as a former youth pastor, I want you to know that, man, when I listen to young people who are leaning in for God and they are on fire for Jesus, that that pumps me up. And, and you'll figure out a little bit later why I'm choosing specifically this blog at, on a sermon when it's all about the armor of God. So let's jump right into the middle portion of this blog. It's the sweet spot and it's going to be legit. Okay, here we go. Here's the blog entry. It's from Trey Kurtz and he's a 20 year old. And, and, and let me tell you, uh, this, this blog is, is powerful. Here we go. Here's what Trey says. Pursuing people and loving them is simple. Just be Jesus to them. Play games. Teach them English. Drink coffee with them. Showing love is the best weapon we have to win souls to Jesus. Yet throughout it all, pursue God. Because I realize that if you pursue the word and God himself, that excitement will come. The spirit will come and fill you. God wants, you to, pers- uh, God wants to pursue you and he wants to be pursued. And as a student at the School of Acts, I learned to be open to the prodding of the Spirit, to be willing and flexible to where God wants you to go and who he wants you to talk to. I've learned that God is working through so many people, and just because they don't look like me or look at the Word of God the same, that we all can still be unified and we can worship the same God. So so it comes down to authenticity. It's to be who you are. It's to follow Jesus and to be yourself and to be authentically and radically yourself until it hinders you in any way from doing the first part, which is to follow Jesus. Wow, Trey. Then, then you joyfully, then, I'm sorry, then you joyfully can change yourself as you realize that part of who, that that part of you is not really you. So, so in reality, you never lose any part of yourself as you grow closer to God. 
but you actually find more of yourself. The parts that fall off of you weren't really you. You simply thought they were. And it's okay that you thought wrong. Now, this may be a stretch for, to some of you as you read, and this may even sound scary, but I would suggest that it's worth thinking about. The body is made up of Christians across the whole world that are serving the same God, and they are pursuing Him. He is our God, and it is really, really beautiful. Oh man, folks, this 20-year-old is legit. Do you see the wisdom that's flowing out of Trey's heart? And I know that this blog is kind of old, but a good blog is a good blog. But I share this with you today because I want you to know that not long after this entry in 2014, October 1st, just three weeks later, 20-year-old Trey was murdered. He was murdered on October 30th, 2014. It was on a Wednesday night. He was on his way back from a Christian conference from the School of Acts. Trey has stopped by a house that was nearby to do some local missions, ministering to some teens and families that were at risk, alongside three other missionary friends from his school. A random act of violence had occurred, folks. A guy passed Trey on the left side of his car, and took fire, four shots at Trey. The bullet hit Trey four times in the neck, all four shots, and he died on the scene. But I want you to know something, and I want you to understand something about this young man. When he died, the whole area of Houston, Texas erupted, just erupted. Trey was spirit-filled, so spirit-filled, and he loved Jesus with all of his heart. And, and he was so already known in his community for the works and the impact that he was making at a very young age. And when you read his blog and you read all his other blogs, you will see that this man was mature in Christ for his age. He was armored up, and you could see it. He understood the armor of God. But all of a sudden, random violence, no connection, just insidious, evil, meaningless violence occurred. Complete spiritual warfare as Satan launched a fiery dart at Trey. And folks, he hit the target. Satan connects with us. you got to wake up. Satan hits. The enemy, the devil, the one who seeks to kill, steal, and destroy took a young man's life. Okay, so, so immediately after Trey's death, Trey's father, who was also a devout, spirit-filled, Bible-believing Christian, was notified, and he was obviously broken. But guess what? Within hours, hours, this whole thing has been chronicled. Within hours of Trey's death, Trey's father immediately reached out to the three other missionary kids who were shook, who were shaken. They were there, right there on the scene. And then he reached out to all of those three missionaries' families, and he prayed with them and he encouraged them as they were going through their trauma. Like, are you kidding me? I want you to see God's loving protection that he has when he gives us strength and we're armored up. That Because even in the worst moment of this father's life, Trey's dad was out in the war, loving and praying and, and equipping others while his son was just 
murdered. And I want you to know that his funeral, Trey's funeral, was live streamed and over uh, 5,000 supporters tuned in. And that's how I caught wind of this story and, and, and knew about this story. Folks, there were over 3,000 TV stations at Trey's funeral, and everybody was trying to figure out how Trey was so loving, how this young man made such an impact already at age 20, and how he could have done this, done this with the circumstances that were surrounding Trey's life. Then the news station started interviewing Trey's fathers, check this out, for over three months, a secular news station, and they were honestly waiting for him to crack and asking him difficult questions, trying to trip him up trying to trap him up, and they were trying to figure out, how is this man so able to be loving and caring in his community while all this is going on? He, he must be faking. He must have an ulterior motive. The news station was literally chronicling his father's otherworldly response to tragedy. Oh, man. After two weeks of Trey's funeral, I want you to know that Trey's father then left with Trey's three missionary friends, and he went to Thailand to do the gospel work that Trey had planned to do. And I want you to know that Trey's had raised that money. He had worked hard for 18 months to prepare to go on his first missionary trip out of the country. He worked hard. He got his passport. The plane tickets were already bought, folks, but... He never made it to Thailand. Trey never made it because Satan shot a fiery dart at this young man. So Trey never made it because someone, someone took his life. So, so let me tell you again, I don't have all the answers. Here, Pastor Brett, I don't have all the answers to how life is going to go for you. You may die well and old, or you may die young and terribly. I don't know. But I know that your destiny is that you're going to be fired at. Satan will connect more times than you realize. And I don't know how the I don't have the answer for how you're specifically going to go out and why God is going to let what happens ultimately happen to you. But I guarantee you, based upon the authority of Scripture, that and based upon the reality of our own lives, that here here it is that Trey had no idea that that was going to be his end. Trey had no idea. It wasn't his plan. It was not Trey's plan that when he was writing that beautiful blog that he was going to die within two and a half weeks. I can assure you that Trey didn't know that that was going to happen when he was working so hard for 18 months to raise that money to go on a trip that was just a month away. To, to do gospel work. Uh, hey, hey, Trey didn't know that this was going to happen when he was writing a blog that was oozing about talking about being armored up in God. Hey, Trey most definitely didn't know that when he stopped in a hurting neighborhood to do the gospel work that he did every single week there, that he was going to be bleeding out from his neck and die on the scene. So even though, lean in with me, even though your next problem won't be planned by you, you need to wake up and understand that the devil is most definitely planning it for you. You may not know what the plan is, but Satan's crafting it right now as we speak. He has schemes, and he has methods, and he's utterly evil, and he wants to take you out. He's against you. When Scripture warns us that the enemy seeks to steal, kill, and destroy your life, it is not figurative. It is literal. Wake up. 
His aim is literally to murder you. This is not a cartoon. He wants to take your life from the inside out. And he eventually wants to put you in the grave six feet under. This is, this is the real story. And, and he doesn't care. And he doesn't play fair. Satan doesn't play fair. He doesn't care. And there's no rules besides death deliveries aimed at you every single day. And I keep telling you, he's very real and he's a very bad, a very bad dude. However, today I want to expose him and Paul is exposing him because God is exposing him for who he is. Okay, now, now, now this is going to be so important because today we're talking about being armored up. And we talked about in verse 12 that our battle is not against flesh and blood. So, so lean in because this, this is going to be so important. Because I want you to know that that's someone, that's someone that killed Trey. He was an 18-year-old kid from that neighborhood. But before you grow angry at this kid and you start going, God, why did he do this? And what a bad person. I want you to know that's not how Trey's father reacted. Remember, the battle is not against flesh and blood, verse 12. This is going to be really hard for some of us who have been through some trauma and pain. Lean in. Instead, Trey, Trey's father took it upon himself to get to know this kid. Oh, yes, he did. And to understand that why would this 8-year-old do such a senseless act of violence? Trey's dad responded with the love of Christ. And, and I can't go too deep into this story, but I want you to know that this kid had his own set of circumstances and pain and trials, and he was a victim of so much trauma already in his young, tender, 18 years of life. And Trey's dad made it his mission to partner with this young man and to help him to heal from his brokenness in life. Like, are you kidding me? And no, that doesn't give the 18-year-old the kid an excuse for taking Trey's life. But folks, can't you see? I need you to open your eyes. Don't be nominal. Listen, there's an adversary behind it all. <laughs> Satan is behind it all. And he's wooing you and he's wooing me <laughs> to hurt each other and to fight each other and to betray each other and to lack forgiveness towards one another and for us to ultimately give up on each other and to go to war against each other. Folks, that's how Satan wins. This is how he wins. And Trey's dad knew it. And he said, no, I'm armored up. I'm with the strength of the Lord. No matter how much pain I'm feeling, I'm armored up. And I know that the real enemy is not this 18-year-old boy. So I'm going to stand upon what God says is true. Listen, most people aren't bad people. They're broken people. I'm going to say that again. Most people aren't bad people. They're broken people. There's something deeper and darker going on underneath our actions and our pain and our sin. There's an enemy and there's an adversary, folks. Pay attention. You're going to get shot at. And eventually, Satan's going to connect and he's going to hit you and he's going to hit that target. Therefore, you need to be armored up so you can respond like Jesus. 
You need to be suited up with every piece of that armor. You can't have any of it missing. You got to be armored up. You got to stand so that in the midst of crazy, wicked atrocities like Trey's family experience, when you're going through the darkest of times, you'll be ready. You see, even though Trey's family went through the darkest of times because they had the belt of truth, because they had the breastplate of righteousness, because they had the helmet of salvation, because they had the shoes of gospel peace and the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit. And because they had all these things, they had the readiness. They had the readiness, despite their pain, to respond to the greatest battle they had ever faced in the Christian war. And as a result, they were able to respond with great godly character, displaying a type of love that the world had no categories for. And, a res- and as a result, both the so much, this, is, this is crazy. Both the school of Acts and Trey's local church grew and exploded in numbers of attendance as people wanted to come near, just to be near the place that impacted Trey's life. But we all know what was really happening when, when this church doubled in size and, and this school had way more people coming to the school. We know what was really happening, right? People were coming from all over the world trying to visit the church and the school, and, and some of them ended up staying because they were searching for Trey's power source. They were searching for Trey's father's power source. There was something about Trey's spirit. There was something different about Trey's father that made people in the world say, what is that? I want some of that in my life. I just want to be near that. I want to be near that light. But, but so often, we believe that we can just get ready for battle after the missile is fired. But folks, it's too late if you start trying to get ready once the missile has been fired. You're going to get taken out because you weren't armored up and you weren't ready. Because when tragedy strikes and suffering hits, who we really are, who we really are is either going to shine brightly for the world to see or it's going to reek and smell terribly for the whole world to experience. Trey's dad, folks, lean into this. Trey's dad was not performing some outward actions to display and to show, hey, look at me, look at me. No, he was simply responding from the Christ-centered fruit and strength and armor that was already in place. So when tragedy hit and the dark connected, Trey's dad was armored up and he was ready for war. Let me say this again. Trey's dad wasn't performing in this completely overwhelming moment. He wouldn't have had the mind to do it. He was simply responding from the Christ-centered fruit and strength and armor that was already in place. He was completely protected by the armor of God. So so we will either be armored up and have a response like Jesus, or we're going to be defenseless and we're going to be taken out when he shoots a dart at us. So, So we can choose to stand in the Lord. We can choose that. And by the power of his might, we can can face the greatest losses and the most meaningless carnage and we can look like Jesus but but let me just say this but but some of us say pastor Brandon I don't want to go through suffering I hear what God's saying but I'm scared I don't want to go through suffering I, I know you don't and I don't want you to either but it doesn't change the fact that you are you're going to go through suffering I remember when I started going through suffering and I wanted it to go away and it didn't. Listen, 
everyone suffers. Everyone suffers. We're not immune as Christians, but neither are non-Christians. And I want you to know that. The devil doesn't care either way. Don't listen to this hype that Satan only wants to destroy the Christians and he, he loves the unbelievers. No, pay attention. The Bible says that Satan hates all of humanity. All humanity is made in the likeness of God, and Satan hates that, and he hates it with a passion. Listen to me. Satan has declared war on all of humanity, and he has an extra special hatred towards those who are spirit-filled. But let me be clear. Satan is less than God. He's not equal to God. No, he's not. However, at this time, God is letting him. He's allowing Satan to do some things, and he's letting Satan believe that he's going to get the ultimate victory. But I want you to know today with radical confidence that Satan is not winning. And trust me, it's not even close. Just like when Satan thought that he had won. Remember this in the Gospels? When Satan thought he had won by having Christ crucified? Listen, Satan walks around with this faulty, arrogant personality and he carries this arrogancy, arrogancy around believing that his fiery darts will ultimately have the ultimate victory over God's people. That if he shoots the shot with the correct method and a precise scheme, he can cause the people of God ultimately to be in outrage and to fight each other and to fall completely into despair, to be joyless in absence of peace and ultimately falling into unbelief. That's what his aim is, and he believes he's going to connect in the end. And, and that right there is the goal, folks, and you need to know that. It's to separate you from God forever and cause you to fall into unbelief. I would never not believe in God, Pastor Brandon. Hold on. He attacks you with the method to first get you into outrage, then to fight each other, then to put you into despair, then to make you joyless, then to take your peace away, and then you're left with no belief. He's working his plan, folks. And Paul, enlightened by God, knew all of that. And Paul is telling you in the text, armor up. You got to armor up and you got to stand because being a son of disobedience is not your destiny. Hey, hey, fighting in your marriage and with your children is not your destiny. Paul's saying fighting in the workplace is not your destiny. Fighting with your neighbors and your communities is not your destiny. Succumbing to sin all the time is not your destiny. Having keys to the lousy gates of hell is not your destiny. Having the beautiful kingdom last name removed is not your destiny. And falling away from Jesus in the moment of trial is not your destiny. So we all need to armor up and we need to stand. Rather, we get every desire that we want here on earth or the worst deck of cards that are filled with tragedy like, tragedy like Trey are given to us, and that's our cup of suffering. We need to be armored up nevertheless and ready to stand because no matter what our story is here on earth, me and you in Christ have secured our God story. I'm going to say that again. No matter what our story is on earth, you and I, by the power of the Holy Spirit, have secured our God story. And it ends with you and me with God forever in eternity. And there's no more pain. 
may we all focus on that, people of God. And I can't wait to finish filleting this open next week when we talk about the armor. And I hope that you understand that now that you know that you need to be radically armored up, that these armor pieces are infinitely important. And next week's going to be all about opening up these, these, these pieces of armor and seeing them for what they are and then saying, God, I want to activate it in my life today. And that's a good place for us to land. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Father, we thank you for being a real God. And I want to be the first one to admit that I repent of the times spent in which I was lollygagging around and focused on whatever I was focusing on, just forgetting that I'm getting shot at radically. And I believe others are also just joining me with a repentant heart about those times that they forgot that the enemy was shooting at them and others as well. And Lord, sometimes we need reminders like, like, like you give us in stories of tragedy like Trey. Lord, these fiery darts are really occurring and coming and hitting the target. But the Bible declares it's very simple and it's very honest, but the Bible declares here, finally, my brothers and sisters, be strong in the power of his might and to take up the whole armor of God that, that you might be able to stand the schemes of the enemy. That's what the Bible is telling us. The Bible is telling us that the battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the devil and against principalities and powers and rulers. That's what the Bible is telling us. Therefore, help us to take up the whole armor of God. We need power. We need power, Jesus, to be your witnesses. And, and we glorify you in the midst of the worst moments of our life, God. We, we don't blame you, and we don't blame each other. We, we walk out today by faith, and we call upon you as our Savior and our healer and our provider. You're, you're just good, Lord. You, you are. And, and Lord, we just send prayers right now to Trey's family. Even though eight years have passed, that is a real pain and a real loss that they've experienced. That was a very difficult fiery dart that connected with our extended family of the faith and, and and in a world that's so instantaneous and we move on by the next commercial we as the people of god we stand rejoicing in the good moments and we mourn week by week month by month and year by year with this family that we're using as a sermon illustration we're lifting up trey's life for you we're lifting up his father's story for you so that people might see you for who you are but you don't just use us you heal us and so we as the people of god we pray blessings over trey's family we pray we pray blessings over every part of the things that trey intended to touch and and i think it's so cool and so legit and so redemptive that we probably are never going to meet this family and, and this family's never going to meet us god but because of our relationship with you we're just all connected we get to walk in unity and purity and harmony and in victory together we literally get to pray as a church knowing that our prayers are being heard and positively affecting a family halfway across the country praise Christ. How amazing, how powerful. Man, and we pray for all the trays out there that have been shot and, and killed and they've lost their, their earthly life because of Satan and his insidious, ridiculously random, evil, fiery darts that just 
break our hearts. Senseless crimes and senseless murder. We pray for the 18-year-old Lord who ruined his story. But we thank you for Trey's father who ministered the gospel to him. May we minister the gospel to those who hurt us the most. And I pray that we would be armored up, ready for battle. I pray that next week, Lord, oh, I pray that next week, if it, if it is our last sermon, God, I just pray that we would recognize how to use the armor, oh, activated, God, so that we would be armored up, ready for the Christian war, ready to be warriors, and ready to stand. It's because of your beautiful, redemptive, loving, productive word that we pray. Amen. Grace and peace.